that we have a personal tutor and instructor living inside of us, God. So we just pray today, Lord, we be sensitive to your word, to your spirit, uh, and in what you're speaking to us personally, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, 1 Samuel chapter 9, um, we see God working supernaturally, right? His, his father's donkeys are lost, and, and God uses that to bring Saul face-to-face with Samuel, as Samuel's going to anoint him this week with oil, okay? Put it, to put him, God is so faithful to put you and I where we need to be, to lead us right where we need to be. And this week, we're going to see here, uh, Samuel's going to anoint Saul, and he's going to equip him for everything he's called him to do, right? He's going to be the first king of Israel, and when he leaves, when this is over, he's going to give him, change him into another man, the Bible says. He's going to put his spirit on this guy. So the best possible start that Saul can have is what God gives him. Even though it wasn't God's perfect will that Saul steps into this position, uh, God said, okay, I'm going to give you a king, and I'm going to actually equip him and give him everything he needs to be who we should be in this kingship. So much like us, and we're going to camp in verse 5 and 6 for a few minutes and talk a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life, and what his work is uh, accomplishing and what God does. And it's a little different than Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, so we'll take a peek at that. But it says this in verse 1. Actually, back in verse uh, 27 of chapter 9, they were going down to the outskirts of the city, and Samuel said to Saul, tell thy servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. He says, but you stand here a while that I might announce to you the word of God. And we're going to see he's going to do that. He's going to tell him some pretty amazing things. And he's also right here in verse 1 of chapter 10, he's going to anoint him. It says, Samuel took a flask of oil. Not one of these things. Right? This is how we do it a lot of times. Somebody wants prayer, wants to get anointed, we'll take a little oil and you know, anoint their head, uh, put a little dab on their forehead, and, and you know, we'll pray for you. And that's how we do it here. Uh, we could do it another way. I could get you know, some olive oil, and we'll go outside, and I'll anoint you like Saul here is going to get anointed. Um, because that's what he does. He takes a whole flask of oil, and he poured it on his head, and he kissed him and said, Is this not because the Lord has anointed you to be commander over his inheritance, right? It's a symbolic of God's choice. It's symbolic of God's equipping. Uh, And and if you would, I I can't remember. I I shared this um, at our men's breakfast. But if you guys turn with me to Psalm 133, we probably looked at this. Maybe you weren't here. Maybe we didn't. David gives a memorable description of Aaron getting anointed, the first priest of Israel, here in Psalm 133. And he says in verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then he says says it's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, 
running down on the edges of his garment. So it goes all the way down, starts at his head, goes down his face, his beard, all the way down his garments to the bottom of them, right? And, and that's it, the picture of anointing, anointing a priest, anointing someone for service. It covers your whole body, right? And we're going to see the comparison a little bit because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He wants to give you and I self-control. He wants to equip you for every good work, fully. And then he says it's like the dew of Hermon. That's the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And that is literally, that mountain is the source for the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. The, the water runs off that and, go, and fills the Jordan and the Galilee. He says that's how amazing this anointing is and how special it is. It, it's actually a source of of life, right? And the Holy Spirit has God anoints you and I with his Holy Spirit. It's our source of life. It's a seal that we're his. And it's his equipping. He says it descends upon the mountain of Zion, and there it says the Lord commanded the blessing life evermore. Uh, kind of a special thing, symbolic for Saul here. And, and literally, it would be a visual for other people. Like, he walks out of that, and people could see this oil. And it was a, the, the oil for the priests, and, and what he's doing was an oil that not everyone could get. It was specific, so it was, and it was fragrant, right? So almost like when Mary anointed Jesus' feet and Judas condemned her for it, said, man, couldn't we sold that? We could have used that money for something you know, and, and John comments, says, the only reason he's saying that is because he held the bag and he kept the money and he wanted to take that money. John comments on it, but, but as she anoints Jesus' feet, you know what? The whole room was filled with that oil. It affected everyone. It, uh, that scent affected everyone. And as she left there, everyone smelled like that, right? Some of my kids will do that, right? They anoint themselves in the morning, and then I'm anointed, right? Then I walk through it. I got to close my eyes. They're burning, right? Especially one of my daughters. Is she here today? Right? Like, it's, it's, it affects you. And that's the, that's the idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon a life. It's evident to others, and it will affect other people. Your influence, your, your God's touch in your life will affect other people. And that's the idea here for Saul. He anoints him. It's an outward picture of something we're going to take a look at in a couple verses. And then he says, then he begins to explain the word of God. He's going to tell him some amazing prophecies that, that every one of these comes to pass for Saul. Amazing, detailed. And God is not afraid and, and, uh, to confirm his word to you. Right? You're wondering, God, should I do this? Should I do that? He is not you know, afraid or, or he's not going to hold back. You know, I told you once, if you don't do it, right? How many times do we tell our kids? Like tons. They still sometimes don't listen. But God is going to confirm this and it's going to give Saul confidence moving forward. Saul is going to be able to say, all right, man, I remember this. I remember this happened exactly the way Samuel said it. I remember this happened. So he says this in verse two, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin and, and Zelza. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you 
went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Remember we talked about that last week. Saul grew up in a, in a family. He knew the fact that his dad cared about him more than he cared about stuff. That people matter more than money. People matter more than stuff. And your kids should know that. Like, they break something at your house, and it's not, I'm going to kill you. Don't you know that cost me $200, right? I just got a phone bill from, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I want to kill her. My daughter, I said, she's in Africa right now. I said, make sure your phone's on airplane mode, hon, because we are going to get, they'll charge us like $3 a minute and per text. And don't I get a huge bill this month? I'm like, are you kidding me? What's going on? Right? So I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to kill her. Uh, I'm just going to warn her because money doesn't matter. She matters. But I do, I do have to compensate for it. Right? Uh, and that was last month's bill, and she's been doing it. So now I'm worried about this month's bill, too. Uh, but our kids need to know they matter more than stuff, more than money, more than our things. You know, how many times, you know, when we're growing up, we get in a fender bender or break something, or, and our parents are like, hey, wrong, are you okay? You all right? You know, we have to make the phone call. I've just gotten a rack or get this happen. Hey, first thing they ask you, are you okay? Are you all right? And then you scream at them, right? Oh, you're fine, good. Get home, I got something for you, right? John says this, or in the, Jesus said it, but John records it, that Jesus is explaining in John 14 uh, his death, that he's going away, and also the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit's coming. And he says, I've told you before it comes to pass, so when it does, when this happens, you might believe. And that's the whole reason that, that Samuel is telling Saul. So when this happens, it's going to strengthen your faith. You're going to believe. And God does that. He wants to, us to get our, have our faith strengthened, right? He wants to encourage us. And the Bible contains, you know, some people say, some, some accounts, 26 point some percent is Bible prophecy, right? Amazing that God is telling us things in advance. Why? To strengthen our faith. So when it comes to pass, so we, when we see these things happen, it's a shot, to our fa- a shot in the arm towards our faith, right? You guys have probably heard this before. This, I remember just getting saved and Chuck Missler uh, saying this. He would say it all the time. So you guys probably have heard this. But Peter Stoner, he was a professor at uh, Pasadena University. He worked with... He loved Bible prophecy, worked with college kids uh, in faith ministries, and he had the students on a Friday night, and he said, he said, hey, let's just take eight prophecies about Jesus, like riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, being crucified, being born in Bethlehem. He took eight of them and said, here's the percentage of this happening. It's 10 to the 17th power, right? Who knows what that is, except maybe my daughter Lydia, who teaches math here at the school, and some people might know it. So he says this, here, give me a hat, and he took 10 tickets, and he marked one ticket, stirred it up in the hat. He says, 
uh, one to the 10th power is like you dipping into this hat and taking one ticket out. And that ticket, you know, being the one we marked, that's one, that's, that's one to the just 10th power. 10 to the 17th power, he says, is if you take the state of Texas and fill it, fill it full, two feet thick of silver dollars, and then you mark one silver dollar, and you throw it in there somewhere, anywhere in the state of Texas, and then just, these are just eight prophecies of Jesus, and then you go and walk as long as you want, as far as you want. The chances of you reaching into that two feet thick, that size of that state, and pulling out one silver dollar, that's the chances of just eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that he's Messiah, where he's born, how he's going to die, you know, all the different things that they, they're going to, he's going to be betrayed by 30 pieces for 30 pieces of silver, that they're going to sell his clothing, they're going to cast lots for it. Amazing. And that's just eight, eight prophecies. Like, can, can they pull the red, you know, silver dollar out? Yeah, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. That's the same percentage as what I'm saying, right? Of just eight. Pretty amazing. So God has given us prophecy. He's written things down to straight, to straight strengthen our faith. So it says this in verse 3, and you'll go on forward. So here's another thing. From there, and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor, and there three men going up to God at Bethel. What's Bethel? That's the house of God, remember? That's where Jacob uh, fled from his brother, and, and, and he, he went to sleep there. He put his head on a rock, and that's where he saw this ladder, Right? And angels ascending and descending. And he woke up and says, this is none other than the place, the house of God. And he named it Bethel. And that's actually where the first anointing, it's the law of first mention. That's the first place it's ever mentioned in the Bible. Where he sets up that, that stone that he had his head on. He sets it up as a, a, a oh, a place of sacrifice. And he anoints that with oil. And it's the house of God. So these guys are going up to worship. They're going up to God at Bethel, and they'll meet you. It says this, one carrying three goats. I've never carried three goats. Probably stringing them along. Another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. What, and it's a picture, and we're doing communion today. It's a picture of there's the sacrifices, three goats. And then there's bread, and then there's wine. Right? It's a picture of what Jesus said. Man, here's a reminder and he says, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hand. So take it from them, right? And, and if you remember, him and his servant, they're like, if we go see the prophet, what shall we give him? We don't have any bread. We're out of bread, right? And it, it, isn't it kind of cool that he's like, hey, and, and those guys actually, they got three loaves, they're going to give you two, right? They're going to give you, you know, that's how God, what God does. He gives, you know, provides unexpected ways to show us different things. Amazing. Um, and verse 5 says this, verse 5 and 6. This is very important. We're going to camp here just for a few minutes and jump around. You don't have to turn with me, but I'm going to jump around a little. <laughs> it says, after that, that you shall come to the hill of God, where, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen 
when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instruments and tambourines and a flute and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. That's a, that's a spirit-filled worship team. We're praying for that this morning. I don't know if it worked. It's a joke, Justin. And then it says, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you'll prophesy with them. And listen, and you'll be turned into another man. That's the most important thing. When, when David uh, confesses his sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 51, you guys probably know that. Part of his prayer was, don't cast me from your presence. And then he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because that was something the, whole, the Spirit in the Old Testament would come upon people to empower them, but then, then they wouldn't have it. And that's what Samson lost, right? It says, I'll just escape as at other times. And it says he didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. Then Sam, Samson let his hair grow. And God infused him again, right? He could repent. And so can Saul, because Saul is going to experience God's removal of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament is not like that. It's a different experience for you and I. If you would, turn with me to, to, to John. You can turn to John chapter uh, 14. We're going to be there for a second, but I'll read a verse in John chapter 1 to you. And I've shared this before. It just it blows me away, and it's really a picture of what God, what Jesus does in a life. You guys are in 14. I'm in chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak, John chapter 140, and following him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first went to his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, hey, we found Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, so they're walking to Jesus, or maybe he's standing right there. Jesus says something pretty amazing. He says, you're Simon, son of Jonah. I know who you are. You're Simon, son of Jonah. I know all about you. I know exactly who you are. He says, but you shall be called Cephas. You're not going to stay that. You're not going to be there forever, right? And that's what God does to our lives. And he sees what he's getting in me and you that we're flawed, failed people. He knows who our father is, right? Maybe we didn't have one growing up. He says, I know who you are, but I also know what I'm going to make you. It's not over. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you a different person. Same way he's talking to Saul here. He's going to be, he says, when it's over, you'll be changed into a different man. And, it's, and then it's going to, we're going to read that the Spirit came upon him, right? So John chapter 14 says this in verse 16. Verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper or a comforter, that he may... Will, that he may abide with you forever. It's not going to change. 
that the Holy Spirit is going to be in you forever and me forever. He says, it's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because neither does it see him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells, and this is important if you mark your Bible up, it says he dwells with you and shall be in you. Two different experiences of the Holy Spirit. He shall be with you. He dwells with you. He's coming alongside of you. That's what that word means. Uh, it's... Um, the Greek word para. And then he says it will be in you. That's the Greek word end. He's actually going to be live inside of you. Okay? And he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Right? You're not going to be an orphan forever. Not going to be fatherless. Right? And maybe you grew up without a dad. Maybe your dad wasn't the best. Very important that the experience of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that you're not an orphan anymore, right? And, and the, the, what God does, and we don't have time to, to look at all the verses. I've told the guys this morning when we were praying, I said, I got way too many cross-references. Um, but for the Holy Spirit in John chapter uh, 16, it is. Uh, I'll just read it. Sorry. Turn there with me just for a minute. John chapter 16, just for a second. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, when he comes, verse 8, it's important. I don't want to jump over this uh, too much. It's important. If you mark up your Bible, this is very important. For the, for the Spirit is going to be with you. When he has come, it says he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He says, of sin because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He said, I'm going to convict the world of sin. And that's built into our conscience. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He'll come alongside of you. He's going to be with you. You're not saved yet. But all of a sudden, you know, man, that was wrong to do. I, I shouldn't treat people like that. I shouldn't drink that. I shouldn't inhale that. I shouldn't, you know, all these different things we do, shouldn't watch that. I shouldn't, we realize, man, there's a problem with that. I don't know why there's a problem with that, but I know I shouldn't be doing it. And then he says of righteousness, and you'll know what's right and wrong. You'll agree with the things that are right. You may not do it but you'll agree with it. And then he says of judgment, because ultimately it's, it's birthed and born in the heart of every person. God has set eternity in everyone's heart that we know someday you're going to stand before the Lord and there's going to be a judgment. Right? It's built into our conscience, those things. That's what the Holy Spirit's work is when, he come, when he's with you. But then Jesus is telling his disciples he's going to be in you. And we know in John, in John chapter 20, that they're there in the upper room after the resurrection, Jesus breathed on the Holy Spirit, and uh, breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit comes inside of them, right? And Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about, that says that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And, and that's like an engagement ring, you've probably heard that, or a down payment on a house, like, I'm putting everything I have into this house. 
here's all the money I have, and I'll, I'll pay the rest when I have it or whatever. Well, Jesus, the down payment, we're paid in full. That's what Jesus said. But he still has to come and get us. That's the final destination. Like if you die, you're going to heaven because we're sealed with the Spirit. Like he's bought and paid for you and I. If you're a Christian here, right? And that's the inexperience. He's going to be in us. And, and tons of things. If you read John chapters 14, 15, 16, uh, mostly 14, 16, you'll see a lot of the work. We just don't have time to camp there uh, that long. Um, but if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And the third experience of the Holy Spirit. Says this. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. It says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. So this is Luke. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had presented himself alive after his suffering by many, what, infallible proofs, being seen by them, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. But listen, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me. Right? And that's part of what we read in, in John 14, 16. It's the promise that you're not orphans. And, and actually in Acts chapter 2, we're going to read it, that that is the promise. Peter will say that. For John truly baptized you with, with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know the time or the season which the Father has put in his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has what? Come upon you. That's the next experience. The upon experience. Right? That's the word api in Greek. And, and it's God's equipping for your life, power for your life, power to do things you normally couldn't do. Right? And he doesn't tell the disciples, you know what? You guys have it. Listen, everyone else needs the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You guys don't. You've been with me three and a half years. You've seen many miracles. You've done many miracles. You've cast out demons. You guys are ready to go. It's like Bible College 101. You guys graduated. You have your doctorate. Uh, and you're good. You're golden. He didn't tell them that. No one has more Bible experience or knowledge than these guys or Paul the Apostle. What he said is you wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. You need a filling. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need that. Right? It gives you courage. It gives you boldness beyond courage. It gives you gifts beyond training and natural ability. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Right? Everyone here has got natural ability. There's probably people here that speak very well and, and are very good communicators. And I talk to people sometimes like, oh, dude, I don't really want to talk to you that much. And 
know who I am. My mask will come off. No, it's not a mask. I, I, it's, it's, it, people are very gifted, but you need something beyond that. People are very talented. People are naturally, sometimes people are just like great uh, moms or great dads or great workers or just natural, naturally gifted in whatever. But to be a Christian and to be everything God's called you to be, he's not, you not only need to be a Christian where the Spirit of God enters you, you need to be baptized. And you see it all as you read the book of Acts, read it. You see that they were filled again and again. Why? Because we're leaky vessels. Man, God fills us up, and all of a sudden we're walking through this world and getting, you know, being people, being human. We're like, Lord, I need a fresh filling this morning. I beg them every day. Lord, I just baptize me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want people to hear you, not me, right? I don't want to get in the way. But it's an experience. He says, guys, you need to wait. You'll receive power. Dunamis is the word. And it will come, the Holy Spirit will come. It's, he's a person that can be grieved, lied to, and quenched and blasphemed. He, actually, Jesus said, that's the only reason you'll go to hell is if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's Luke 10. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit coming alongside of you and saying, you need a Savior. You're a sinner. You need help. You need help. And you might be someone who swears and uses Jesus' name. Jesus said, that'll be forgiven you. But if you reject my Holy Spirit, pointing to me, telling you, you need me, that won't be forgiven. That's unforgivable. Unforgivable. Right? You need Jesus Christ. Okay? And then we see it in the next chapter. I don't know if we have time to read it. Probably not. Uh, it's 11 and we have communion. Read chapter 2. Amazing chapter. Right? Amazing. They spoke the wonderful works of God. The Holy Spirit comes in as they are faithful to wait obedient. All right, I'll wait. You tell me to wait, I'll wait. Go, I'll go. And they, and they wait, and God's Holy Spirit comes in and fills these guys. Regular guys. These are fishermen. These aren't like, the only educated person that Jesus chose was Judas. He was the only one from Jerusalem. All the rest of the guys were a Galilee region. They're, they're the blue-collar guys, Right? Jesus said, wait. You gotta wait. And the Holy Spirit comes and, and they're filled and they speak in another language, but literally a human language that other people could hear, the wonderful works of God. Like people were like, wait, I hear him speaking in my language. I remember hearing Chuck Smith, he was at a uh, pastor's conference, he was doing the pastor's conference and uh, speaking and someone right in the middle of the conference stands up, and Chuck grew up in a four-square church, so he's a little, uh, and, he, and he pulled away from that, which is a little more charismatic. Somebody stood up and spoke in tongues, and Chuck just, hey, do we have an interpretation for that? And no one, no one had an interpretation. He says, okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Could you sit down? I'll talk to you after. Very cordial. 
Then there was a break. Well, at this conference center, uh, it was at a hotel, and in the back of the conference center, they had to, the only way they could get this gigantic room was to rent, they had to hire a bartender in the back of the room, right? The guy just sat there the whole time. Uh, nobody drank anything. But that guy could interpret. He, it was his foreign tongue, somewhere maybe Russia, or I can't remember where it was, but what that language the guy spoke with, and the guy got saved, this bartender was just getting paid to, to work that uh, men's conference, you know, and didn't have to do anything but sit there and listen, and God ordained it, right? He spoke, and that's what happened in the book of Acts. They actually spoke a language, uh, you know, the Parthians, the Medes, all these different languages. It was a known language at the wonderful works of God, Right? And the last thing I want to say about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, listen, Jesus said the greatest command, right? They, they asked, the lawyer came and asked Jesus, uh, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said, you know, how do you read it, right? To, and and it, obviously you guys know to love the Lord thy God and to love your neighbor, right? That's the two greatest commands. And and what, what's the fruit of the Spirit? What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, right? It's love. And then Galatians goes on to explain what love looks like, right? It's not all those things. It's love. And what, Okay, what's love look like? It's patient. It's kind. It's long-suffering. That's love. That's real love, right? And, and the greatest gift, Paul said, said hey, Seek spiritual gifts, but the greatest gift, 1 Corinthians 13, is love. And, and, and that, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, lays out what love looks like too. And I'm only telling you that for you to take a self-examination. How's your love? What's it look like? Jesus said, everyone's going to know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. What's your love look like? What's it look like? Because that's when people will receive what you have to tell them. Not if you're a mean, 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 oh, sit down, I want to tell you about Jesus. Really? Hold on, you're making me nervous again. If you're freaking people out, it's probably not loving. Right? We're building bridges into people's lives by love. It's God's design to love people. Well, how did you get in the kingdom? Someone loved you enough to tell you the truth. Something was different in that person. The way Saul was anointed with oil, you could see it and see something different visually. There's something different in his life. He was a different guy. You should be a different person. People, and what, what are they looking for? Because they're not reading their Bibles. They should see love. They're not saved. It says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance, right? They should see love in your life, in my life. Examination time. Is it? Are you baptized? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Vital for you and I to be in any kind of ministry at home, as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, right? So turn back. I don't even know where I have you guys. Turn back to 1 Samuel. 
Verse 7 says, And let it be when these signs come to you. Listen, this is an important verse. That you do as the occasion demands. Why? Because God is with you. Do as the occasion demands because God is with you. He's saying do what's right. And remember, God's with you, Saul. But when you get in a situation, you'll know what's right and what's wrong. Right? For us, on this end, being born again, we have the word of God and the holy. We, we are fully equipped, the Bible says, for every good work. Fully equipped. We know what's right and wrong. God's with you. Do what's right and good. Verse 8 says, And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely, surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and to make sacrifice of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So there's his first, you know, you've got freedom to do what the occasion demands right away. God's with you. Be sensitive to the Spirit. And then he says, all right, but here's some instruction I have for you. Go to Gilgal. Wait seven days. I'm going to bring some sacrifice. Just do that, Saul, okay? You know what happens? You guys probably know the story. He doesn't. Right away, he, he's patient for so long that he's like, oh, got to make a sacrifice here. The people are getting restless. I'm, and, then, and he doesn't trust what God has already spoken to him. Right? He met, here's his first real instruction for the future, and he, and he messes it up. He fails to listen. And that's how we, we you know, impatience gets us in trouble, doesn't it? Big time. Gets me in trouble. And then it says this, So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. That God gave him another heart. The heart is the center of your life, isn't it? That's what it means. God gave him another heart. You have a new center of your life. What matters, what's important, what, you know, what you're seeking for your life, God gives him another heart, another center. Like we were, maybe not you guys, but I was self-centered. Like that was in my heart. It was all about me. What do I want? What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? What do I want? You know, it was me, 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 me. It says he gives him another heart, a different center of your life, another focus, another goal. It's a huge change, your passions, your desires. And guess what? It's visible to other people totally visible. And when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. And then it says, the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. Right? He prophesied. And it's worth taking note, and it's a Bible truth. 1 Corinthians 15 says, evil company corrupts good morals. Who you hang out with? Saul's hanging out with the prophets? Man, he starts to prophesy. You hang out with people that aren't saved. Now, we need to read. I, I tell you, when I first got saved, I had such a passion, and I prayed for my unsaved friends. And I just, it was, but you know what? I've started hanging out with them again. Too much. 
and I slid right back into doing what they were doing. My old lifestyle, you have to be very careful. Because I had a real passion and desire to see people get saved, and I would share with them all the time. They were like, don't tell me anymore, right? And then I went right back into the world. Terrible. Terrible. Be careful of the company we keep. Like, we need to be in the world. Jesus said that. I, you know, I, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil that's in the world. We need to be sensitive to that. Because people want to bring you down, right? If you're struggling with alcohol, don't hang out with people that got, you know, uh, uh, one of those keg thing, keg mice things in their garage or whatever, that there's a keg always on tap and they're always, listen, be careful. Don't go those places. If you're struggling with that stuff, be careful who you're hanging out with. And then it says it happened when, happened when all who knew him formally saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another what is this that's come upon uh, the son of Kish is Saul among the prophets and then a man from there answered and said but who is their father therefore it became a proverb is Saul among the prophets right so spirituality isn't hereditary Right. Who's his dad? I thought his dad, you know, it, it's, it, you need to teach your children. I need to teach my children. It's funny, we do Ask the Pastor uh, on Wednesdays, and I'll be sitting here, me, Justin and I will sit here, and, and Missy will read questions, and the way kids respond and say things to me, it's like, you can tell they're being trained at home, being taught the word of God. I mean, taught all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, creationism. And just, it's like, oh, yeah, they're doing it at home. Because it's a work to do, to train your kids. It's work. It's a job. And you can see it happening. It says this. Uh, this is a, an, another big question mark in Saul. And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. And Saul's uncle said to him, you know, they're, they're there at worship. And Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, hey, where'd you go? So he said, oh, to look for some donkeys. And when, when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And, and Saul's uncle said, well, tell me what Samuel said to you. And, and Saul said to his uncle, listen, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he didn't tell him what Samuel said. Well, okay, that's fine. You want to be a little discreet. I understand that, right? You guys could understand that. Should I tell anyone? Should I? Here's the problem. The guy's got oil dripping off his head. <laughs> you know, he's soaked. He's prophesying. He's this different guy. He, you know, people, are, the servant priority told him, man, Samuel kept him. Or Samuel actually gave him the part that the high priest was going to eat. I don't know what's going on. And, and this guy's inquiring him. What does he do? He tells him half a truth. Tells him half of the truth. Just, it was just about donkeys. No, Saul, it wasn't just about donkeys, right? And that becomes his pattern of his life, half-truths, not being honest, not being real. Maybe he was trying to be discreet, and I get it. I'm not trying to point, my fi point fingers, but I do want to take note of some things for us as believers. Honesty is very important, right? 
to walk in the light. The Bible says we should be walking in the light as he is in the light. That's how we have fellowship, one with another. It's honesty. And Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and those who oppressed you. Right? He's reminding them of their past. That's what Deuteronomy says, to teach your children these things, or they're going to forget. Remind them of their past. Remind them what I've done for them. Right? Verse 19 says, But you have today re- rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversities and, and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Right? But, you know, they rejected. That's a tough word in the Bible. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. And when they sought him, he couldn't be found, right? And it would be a reminder, that's how they chose Achan. In Judges, like or in in, uh, in Joshua, like they chose him by tribes. It would be a reminder that was the last time they did this. But he couldn't be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further: Has has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, "There he is, hidden among the equipment." So they ran and brought him from there. And when they stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Right? He's hidden among the qu- equipment. There's a lot more to be said. I just don't have time. But, uh, and Samuel said to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. I, listen, single people, you need to be careful what you're looking at for a spouse because you know Saul was all that and a bag of chips right he was tall dark and handsome he had it all going for him he was had the money he had the but there's something more there's integrity and truth there's something more that you need to look for and be patient he had it all outwardly they're like Long live the king. We love this guy. He's amazing. And he, at the end of the day, he's not. Right? But there was nobody taller than him. Nobody more handsome, handsome than him. And we think that's our only qualifications. Yeah, there's an, an initial tr- attraction, right? When you like someone. But listen, get to know them better. Do they love Jesus? I always tell my kids, pick someone who loves Jesus more than you. Right? That's the, that's the key. So, uh, verse 25, Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord, and Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. That book, probably part of it is Deuteronomy 17. You can mark that down. Um, and Saul went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. He had a great support group. God had even set, put people alongside of him. To help him, and then, but some of the rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Listen, uh, it, it's, it's not a surprise. Some people are skeptics, right? They're waiting to see 
who this guy is. That's not bad. It's like a little bit of tension. All right, I, I want, I, listen, I know these people don't believe it, but I want to be everything God's called me to be or whatever it is, right? And it's not bad that, that there's a little tension there, right? We're in an endurance race, guys. Saul should be in an endurance race with lots of observers. People are looking at your life and mine. And there's lots of skeptics out there saying, oh, yeah, this is just a phase they're going through. This is just something that, right? They're looking at your life saying, oh, this isn't real. What's happening? You've got a lot of onlookers in your life, right? Today we're taking communion, and we're going to hurry. Um, I want to tell you guys one thing. You, you look at the, 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 the elements, the bread, the grape juice, and, and John the Baptist, as he's walking, he looked at, at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Right? And that's what it represents, the sacrifice. Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. And any time there was a sacrifice brought to the priests, the worshiper wasn't inspected. It was always the sacrifice. The, the worshiper's there because... We've done so much wrong. We realize, oh my goodness, I need a sacrifice. I need a dove. I need a, a lamb. I need this. I need, we got to bring, this is terrible. I've been terrible this year, right? And they would bring all these, and, but the reality is, is, is God the Father sees you through the lens of his son. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're holy. You're new, Right? You're a new person. And it's so simple. You know, Jesus told uh, Nicodemus that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, I'm going to be lifted up. And that you only have to look on me to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, believes that, believes that I'm just going to be lifted up and I've taken away your sins. It's that simple, Right? So today, as we take communion together, just remember, listen, God sees you through the lens of his son, and he loves you as his son, like a child. Okay, Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, for who you are, and, and for the truth of it. Lord, I know that I went too long probably today. Uh, I just pray that, uh, that some of the truths that we talked about today, some of the instructions, some of the... Uh, things that we could really apply to ourselves, especially examining ourselves, see if there's love. Lord, we need a fresh filling, a baptism of your Holy Spirit, God. So we just ask you for that today, Lord. And, and uh, we, the Bible says we just ask and wait. Uh, that we can just trust you that that's what you want to give good gifts to your children. We just thank you for that, Lord, in your name.